Well, welcome again. We're glad that you're here with us this morning, or welcome also to those of you who are joining online. And so uh, we're walking through the book of Philippians, uh, planning on finishing that up the week before Christmas, but we are uh, at the, the latter part of chapter 2 today. And um, so the, the title of the message is Case Studies in Caring, and uh, I said to Andy as we were kind of working on some of the media stuff this week, I think in, in some ways this may be the easiest section of Philippians to understand and may be the hardest to preach uh, because it's just kind of like, you know, how, how do, exactly do you apply this and that kind of thing. So hopefully you'll work with me on that this morning, but uh, you know what a case study is, right? Um, you know, maybe in school or in some training for your work or like, you know, when Philip and I uh, are training some very young people who are called to ministry, sometimes we use case studies, which is basically uh, something that's actually happened where you kind of read it, talk about it, analyze it, and then it's kind of like, okay, well, what do you do with this now? What would you do? How would you have handled this? What do you get uh, from this? And, and so, uh, they can be valuable because, uh, you know, real learning, I think, that's not just head knowledge, has to be application-oriented, right? It's got to be like a hands-on uh, kind of thing. I mean, you know, people who know a lot and don't know what to do with it are probably dangerous at, at, at the end of the day. And, and so, you know, case studies can be valuable. Well, in a sense, in the passage that we're going to read today, I think we kind of have a, a case study uh, that Paul is giving us a case study about caring for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ from uh, the example of two men named Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so we're kind of going to look at, at, at them and this example and, and, and what they said. And, and again, there's, there's value, there's power in example, there's power in, in hands-on training and mentorship and seeing people uh, live things out. I mean, people that, that you know, I know, uh, and we know a lot of people who are really caring people, I mean, there's just something about that that motivates you to be the same way. And there's something about uh, seeing someone live something out that just impacts us. Um, it's just kind of coincidentally or providentially, uh, my mentor, the man who helped me as I got started in ministry, Jack Arwood, is here this morning. And uh, I think that's fitting for the text that we're looking at. And, you know, I, I was privileged uh, to go to seminary. Um, you know, I, I, it was, I, I, to me, it was a great experience. It, it, it helped me a lot. Uh, Southeastern is a great uh, seminary. I actually see Tim and Carabeth sitting here in the mi middle this morning. Uh, Tim's a current Southeastern student. And uh, I, I saw one day this week, there's over 5,000 students enrolled at, at Southeastern now, which is really a miracle of God. It's the only seminary that I know of in Christendom that started out liberal and turned into a, a, a conservative seminary. They, uh, they usually go in the other direction. And uh, when I was there, it was just kind of... Uh, right on the, the cusp of the turnaround, and there were about 400 students then. And so uh, that's over, that's what, like a 12, 13-fold increase, something like that. But anyway, had a great experience at seminary, was blessed to do that, but part of the reason it was a great experience was because I'd already had hands-on training 
before I went. And so uh, the seminary experience was able to add uh, to that, maybe refine some of that, but the foundation was there. I, I think probably both is, is the way to go. But honestly, if I just had to pick one or the other that was more valuable, I would pick the hands-on training that I had. And, you know, really, uh, that's what we're supposed to be doing as, as a church. Uh, and we're going to see this in this passage in the relationship of Paul and, and, and Timothy. But, you know, in a sense, a church should be a practical, hands-on seminary. I mean, that's how people are supposed to be discipled and learn about the Lord and grow in the Lord. And so that influences a lot of what we do at, at, at True Life. I mean, one of our core values is that we're disciples who make other disciples. And so, you know, in, in small groups, in training, in classes, and everything that we do, that's what we're trying uh, to produce is people who are disciples of Jesus Christ, who are in turn making other disciples of, of Jesus Christ. And really, if you're a disciple, of Christ, you're going to be making other disciples of Christ because discipleship, contrary to what a lot of people think, it's not a fill-in-the-blank kind of course. It's not some head knowledge. It's, it's having a transformed life, and part of having a transformed life is then reaching out and helping other people uh, through evangelism, through teaching, through training, experience the same thing. And that's what we're going to see here. And so, um, to kind of go back for a minute, uh, let's read Philippians 2, 4, and 5 again. We were in this passage uh, a couple of weeks ago. But what he says here in these couple of verses, this is the case study. This is Timothy and Epaphroditus living out what he said here. And, and again, he's kind of giving us a flesh and blood example for how we can live this out. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest." but also for the interest of others. And then he says, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And so maybe there's a sense here that what he's doing is, okay, here's the principle. Don't just be concerned about yourself, but be concerned about others as well. And then he gave the ultimate example of this that we looked at in verses 5 through 11, of Jesus Christ, who is God, but he laid aside the outward manifestation of that, added humanity to his deity, was born as a baby, lived as a bondservant, died as a common criminal. This is the mind of Christ, this submissive, sacrificial, surrendered, serving, caring for others kind of mind. And so, you know, he gave Jesus as an example of that. And of course, he's presented himself as an example of that. Well, wouldn't it be easy to say, well, I'm not Jesus, and I'm no Apostle Paul, so I can't really do this. And so he says, well, here's a couple of examples for you. Timothy and Epaphroditus. And you know, Timothy was a pastor, so he's an example for pastors. Epaphroditus, just a regular guy in the church. So this applies to all of us. I mean, surely if somebody named Epaphroditus can do this, you can do it too, right? I mean, I mean surely. So, uh, 
you know, really, the, all of this goes back to chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, let our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he talks about unity and those kind of things. Unity, you know, it's just an ongoing theme. How we treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ is just a thread that's woven throughout uh, the book of Philippians. And so, Let's uh, read this text and, and, and look at, at, at this example. And, and what I want to do, and I'll go ahead and give you the first one, and, and then we'll read the text. But there's basically kind of five principles that I think we can glean from these two men's examples here about how we're to care for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, the first principle I want you to see that's really just kind of woven through the whole passage, and I think you'll see this as we read it, and I'll try to point it out to you, is that the heart of caring for one another is mutual concern that rises out of who we are in Christ. And I think this, the key to this sentence is the phrase mutual concern, particularly the word mutual. It, it, it's the idea that it's supposed to go both ways. In, in the body of Christ, everyone is to give and to receive, is to minister and to be ministered to, to disciple and be discipled. And it's the idea, if it's a body, it takes all of us working together. That's the whole point of the analogy of the body of Christ in the New Testament, that many members that are uh, unique and different, uh, but we're interdependent, we're dependent upon one another, we all need each other, because uh, just like in our human body, if one part of the body doesn't work right, then it affects the rest of the body. And everybody who's over 40 said, amen, there you go, right? <laughs> it's true. And if you don't know that yet, just give it some time because you'll get there. If one thing's off, something else is off. If one thing hurts, it causes something else uh, to hurt. It's just how it works. And so, uh, you know, there's a reason that Paul used uh, this analogy of the body of Christ. So there's to be mutual concern. Look, look at what he, he says here in Philippians 2, starting in verse 19. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. In other words, when I know how you're doing. Now, again, mutual concern. Where's Paul when he's writing this? He's in prison. Who does Paul seem concerned about here? Yeah, the Philippians. I mean, you know, and again, that's kind of crazy to me. I preach this and kind of feel like a hypocrite because, you know, if I'm in jail suffering like him, I'm probably in the fetal position in a corner uh, sucking my thumb. I'm probably not thinking about you all a whole lot, but, but, he, but uh, you know, uh, I'm not Paul. Uh, so, uh, again, he's a better example, but uh, he, he's thinking about them. And he says, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now, isn't that a sad statement? I mean, that's kind of, I mean, can you almost kind of hear the grief in his heart when he says that? I mean, I care about you. and I'm in prison, but I'm having trouble finding anybody else who will care about you, who will go check on you, who will do what I need you to do. He says, and, and what an indictment, verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And he's writing this to a church. 
right? I mean, he's not writing this, you know, out to the nightclub. I mean, he's writing this to the saints. But then verse 22, here's what he says about Timothy. He says, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. In other words, and we've already seen that they're concerned about him. And again, one of the recurring themes in Philippians is they're ministering to him. But he's concerned about them. He's caring for them. He's looking after them. He wants to see them, but until he can, he's looking for somebody to send, having trouble to find, finding somebody. But it's like, okay, I can count on Timothy. And so I think something for us to think about this as we read this passage is like if there was a modern day letter written, let's just say hypothetically we're under persecution. I was in prison. I was writing this letter back to us as a church. Would you be in the Timothy, Epaphroditus class, category? Or would you be in this group who seeks their own and not the things of Jesus Christ. I think something for us to think about as we read this text. Now, he says, yet I considered it, verse 25, necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Notice how he describes him. We'll come back to this in a minute. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So, Paul's sending him to them, he's concerned about them, but he says Epaphroditus had ministered uh, to him. He had brought what he needed uh, to him, or he was trying to at least. But he says, uh, verse 26, he says he was longing for you all and, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Now, he's sick, but he's distressed because they're hearing that he's sick. Again, this is not normally how I think, probably not normally how you think either. It's like, you know, I'm a guy, so if I get a sniffle, it's like I'm dying. Someone make me well here. You know, the rest of the world has to stop and take care of itself, right? Man cold. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You have husbands. So, uh, but Epaphroditus apparently rose above that, and he's, he's concerned uh, about them. And it says in verse 27, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy upon him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul, he's concerned for Paul. Paul's, Paul's concerned for him. They're concerned for Paul. Paul's concerned for them. You see the mutual concern here? Now, just a couple of thoughts here about sickness before we move on and read the, the, the rest of the text. Contrary to what prosperity gospel teachers would tell us, Serving God, being faithful to God, is not some kind of magical antidote that keeps us healthy. I mean, you got Epaphroditus here, right? We get sick. We live in a fallen world. Uh, There's nothing uh, about Christianity that magically will make you healthy until someday you just, for no medical reason, just die and go to heaven, right? It just doesn't work that way. Uh, But we also see here that God heals people. 
but not because of some magic formula or special faith healer or something like that. He does it because of his mercy. And and we need to remember this, too, that we live in a fallen world. So because we're fallen and there's sin in the world, there's decay in the world, sickness is a part of that. So sickness in a fallen world is actually not abnormal, it's normal. And when we're healthy, it's a blessing and a grace that we shouldn't take for granted. So he goes on and he says in verse 28, Therefore I send him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So, Again, I said, you know, the the heart of caring for one another is this mutual concern that comes out of who we are in Christ. You see the mutual concern that he's talking about here? You see, for a church to be healthy, to be everything God wants it to be, it takes everybody, again, giving ministry, receiving ministry, discipling, being discipled, serving, being served, caring, being cared for. It's a reciprocal kind of thing. And, you know, it's sad when people look at the church and see, you know, just tons of dysfunction and division and fighting and uh, just, you know, being like everybody, everybody else in the world. Because I'm telling you, there is nothing more beautiful than the local church when it's working right. And when it's working right, we're loving one another and, and people are there for each other and people are caring for each other. There's nothing more beautiful in the world than that. It, it really is a little slice of heaven on earth because it's an outpost of the coming kingdom. That's what the church is designed to be. Now, let's, Aaron, go back to verse 25 for a second, uh, if you would. This is the, the foundation uh, of this. Go back one more verse, sorry. Um, okay, so he says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And notice what he calls him here. My brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. Now, If we want to understand who we are in Christ as the church in a a real practical kind of way, this is a a, a really good foundation for it. He calls him my brother. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So why should we have this mutual concern for each other? It's because we're family. Because we're family. But he says, he's my fellow worker. In other words, they were side by side together working, serving for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's a relationship, but there's a function. We're we're family, we're brothers and sisters, but we're also serving the Lord together. And even beyond that, he calls him my fellow soldier. We're in a fight together. We're in a battle uh, together. We have a common foe. We have a a common enemy. And and we're to unite and stand together in the armor of God in that fight, not to fight each other, but to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil with the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit together. That's what it takes to be a, a healthy church. And again, has to go both directions. Give and receive ministry, and it takes everybody. 
You know, one of the things that uh, studies show that's happened in the last you know, year and a half or so through the pandemic is churches, uh, a lot of churches have done well financially. We have. But a lot of churches are struggling when it comes to the volunteer base. And I have some understanding of why that would be with COVID. In some ways, I don't understand that. I think we're seeing that a, a little bit here. And so, again, here's this idea of it takes everybody. I mean, you have gifts. You have things that God has wired and equipped you to do. And that's part of the idea of spiritual gifts. That's part of the idea of the body of Christ is God has made us each unique to um, make a difference. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Say, say a family is going through a, a, a tough time. Maybe they've had a death in their family, some kind of crisis in their family, whatever it may be. You know how the body of Christ is designed to work? Well, somebody with the gift of mercy comes along and they're a shoulder to cry on. If somebody with the gift of exhortation comes along and they're an encourager to that person. And somebody with the gift of faith comes along and they're praying and believing God to do supernatural things in, in, in that situation. And somebody with the, the gift of giving comes along and uh, they're uh, you know, meeting financial needs. And somebody with the gift of teaching comes along and they're sharing scripture. And somebody with the gifts of service or helps comes along and they're taking care of the practical needs. And somebody with the gift of evangelism comes along and they're sharing the gospel with people in the family who aren't saved, that's how God has designed the body of Christ to mutually work together. So the root of caring for one another is this mutual concern that rises out of who we are in Christ. But second, um, the, or the heart of caring for one another, the second, the root of caring for one another is living for Jesus because to live for Jesus is to live for others also. Do you know that? You can't live for Jesus and not care about other people. And I don't mean that as a have-to kind of thing, even though it is commanded for Christians that we love one another. I'm just saying, if you really live for Jesus, you can't help it. Because he does something in our heart in how we look at other people. And how we relate to other people. And, you know, the, the, the thing about it is, I think sometimes we're afraid to really surrender to the Lord because we're worried about what he might call us to do. Or who he might call us to go serve. I think that's sometimes why people run from the Lord. It's like, well, what's this going to get me into? <laughs> Which is not unreasonable. I mean... <laughs> But, you know, but, but what a sad verse. I mean, again, verses 20 and 21. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And that's 221. If we go back to 121 and contrast the two for a second, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. In other words, he's saying it's better for me if I die and go to heaven. But it's better for you if I'm still here. 
because you need me and I need you. And so if, if we're going to live for Jesus, we're going to live for other people as well. I mean, we're not going to look out only for our own interest. We're also going to look out for the interest of others. So I guess, again, my question would be, who's God put in your life? It could be family, friend, neighbor, co-worker, somebody at church, somebody in your small group. Who is it right now that God wants you to look out for them? They need something. They need prayer. They need encouragement. They need financial help. They need uh, some kind of practical assistance. They need somebody to share uh, the gospel with them. God has put us there for a reason. You know, sometimes as Christians, we get all twisted up in knots trying to figure out the will of God for our lives when a lot of times it's just uh, taking what he puts in front of us and, and doing it and then trusting as we take one step, he, he puts something else there and somehow when it's all said and done, he connects it all together, and, you know, we see God's sovereignty in the rearview mirror. That's how it always works. We don't figure it all out in advance. You know, I, I've said before that uh, my wife is naturally much more caring than I am. Like, I mean, she just cares for people. I think she got it from her mom. Her mom was just a wonderful, godly lady, and she was that kind of person. And, you know, she worked at a nursing home, and she'd go back on Sundays and, and teach Sunday school. And, I mean, she had a rough life in a lot of ways. But, I mean, she was all the time thinking about other people. And I think that, you know, kind of filtered down to Robin. My mom was uh, very similar to that. But I don't think it naturally filtered down to me in, 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 in the same way. I mean, not that, like, I was a bad person or something like that, but I just... It's just kind of me, and you'll be okay, and <laughs> that kind of thing. So I say all that to, to say, you know, when I think about other people, it's Jesus in me. It's not me. It's not because I just naturally have this great desire to be a pastor and, and that kind of thing. But what I'm saying is, is, is if he's working in our lives, it's going to factor out to other people. You know, a church planner at New Creation in Morristown, that part of what they're doing is ministering to homeless people, asked me a question recently. It's very profound in a simple kind of way. He's like, and, and he has just a tremendous heart and a passion, you know, for hurting, suffering, struggling people. He's like, you know, where, where did this come from? Because I've just kind of been a Christian just going to church uh, all my life. And, uh, you know, you may not be called to minister to homeless people or whatever, but I'm telling you, if Jesus gets a hold of you, you're going to care about other people. And if you don't, something, that's right, something ain't right. Uh, <laughs> something is not right at the root because the fruit's going to come out. All right, so do we care about other people? Number three, the preparation for caring for one another is discipleship. The preparation for caring for one another is discipleship. Look at verse 23. What a beautiful verse. Um, you know, Paul talking about Timothy says, you know his proven character. And here's the relationship thing again, that as a son, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. But you see, there was preparation. And because there was preparation, Paul knew he was ready to go and accomplish this mission. Warren Wiersbe said of this, he said, quote, Paul did not add Timothy to his team the very day the boy was saved. Paul was too wise to make an error like that. He left him behind to become a part of the church fellowship in Derby, in Lystra, 
And it was in that fellowship that Timothy grew in spiritual matters and learned how to serve the Lord. When Paul returned to that area a few years later, he was happy to discover that young Timothy was, quote, well reported of the brethren, Acts 16.2. Years later, Paul would write to Timothy about the importance of permitting new converts to grow before thrusting them into important places uh, of ministry. And what he's referring to there is in, uh, the uh, requirements for someone to be a pastor. Uh, one of them is to not be a novice, to not be inexperienced. You know, don't be, a, don't be a rookie, I guess, as you could kind of say it that way. And as Wearsby was talking about this in his commentary, he gave an example uh, from a pastor he knew who said, you know, he knew a guy who was uh, like, like a singer, you know, he, he performed in nightclubs, real popular in the area and that kind of thing, and he got saved, and, and he was excited about it, and so he wanted to, you know, go out now and, you know, start serving the Lord and, and, and use his ability, you know, to do Christian concerts and that kind of thing, you know, travel, share the gospel that way, and he talked to this pastor about it, you know, I guess he'd become a part of that church, and the pastor said, don't do it yet, you're not ready, Just, you know, get plugged into a local church, Learn, grow, serve there, get stronger, and in time you can do that kind of thing. And um, the man wouldn't listen to him, so he went and, you know, kind of formed an organization, formed a ministry, started traveling, uh, you know, started singing, all these kind of things. And within a year, the ministry was defunct, he was bankrupt, and he lost his family. His wife wasn't saved. Uh, He lost his family because he spent so much time on the road. And so the pastor's uh, comment on it was this. He says, his branches went out farther than his roots went deep. When that happens, you eventually topple. And so, if we're going to be fruitful, if God's going to use us, and particularly if he's going to use us long term and not be a flash in the pan, that comes from having strong roots, from being rooted and grounded in Christ, connected to the vine, and then we can live and serve fruitfully out of that, and that comes from being discipled. Now, look, look at some things. Again, if, you know, if our emphasis here, if our, uh, if our mission is to meet people where they are and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ, which is, in effect, saying... We need to make disciples because that's what the Great Commission says. If one of our core values is uh, we're disciples who make other disciples, what does that look like? And I, I think Paul gives us some really pretty clear clues, either explicitly or implicitly, in, in this verse. Here's some of the things he talks about. Discipleship involves accountability. Notice that he had proven character. Proven character. People need time. I mean, you know, we have several young people, uh, you know, who have publicly expressed a call to ministry. That is so exciting. That is to say, praise God, but that doesn't mean we send them out, you know, to pastor a church the next week. Because that would hurt them, right? There's time, trials. You can't trust somebody who hasn't been tried. Because their heart may be in the exact right place. But, you know, until somebody gets punched in the nose and gets up from it, you don't really know what their character is. That's just reality. You see the relationship here. See, one of the biggest problems in the church in America is we've relied so much on programs when the Bible teaches us about relationships. 
That's why we've said from the beginning at True Life that our philosophy of ministry is that we are a church of small groups, that we need uh, each other because, uh, you know, it's how Jesus uh, discipled the, the 12. It's how Paul, uh, you know, discipled people. The things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. It's personal. It's relational. It's organic. You can't make disciples in programs. And if you're a small group leader, thank you so much. And just remember that. You know, mentor people, encourage people, build relationships with people. You know, it's modeling you know, Paul said, Timothy served with me, so he saw him do it, but they did it together, so he got hands-on experience as he was doing it. It was basically an, an apprenticeship, but it was all rooted in the gospel. And, and, and remember, if you're not a Christian, I'm not saying here, go be more caring, be more loving, so God will accept you. What I'm saying is, is the point of this, the reason we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and the gospel is the good news that even though we've sinned, that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, and God accepts us in Christ. He loves us unconditionally in Christ. And then out of that love, we're able to love and care for one another. And as a church, that's what the world should be seeing from us. But uh, again... You know, it's probably, it's probably no accident that, that Jack's here, but this is what he did, you know, for me. He trained me. He taught me. He, he modeled things. He gave me opportunities, uh, probably when I wasn't even ready for some of them. Uh, you know, he would give me things to study. Then we would talk about it. He would generally, you know, show me how to do things. I guess some things I had to learn in, in the school of hard knocks. You know, I, I think I told you uh, last week, you know, when Ryan was doing communion for the first time about, uh, if you were here, you know, about how I almost turned over the communion stuff. And Jack was listening to that, and we talked about it. And he said, you know, uh, I almost did, I, I did the first thing, you know, did that the first time I was leading communion. I was like, why didn't you warn me? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, some things you got to learn on your own, but I'm just saying, uh, that's, that's invaluable. And so, I would say all of us need to be discipled, we need to be mentored, and then discipling and mentoring other people. And, and I was so blessed to have him, and I've been blessed to have other people, um, you know, I had a good pastor when I went to seminary and just different people down through the years. There's people, I mean, somebody doesn't have to be your best friend. I mean, there's people I may call on for one particular area that they have some expertise in. Or you can be mentored, in a, I mean, with podcasts and YouTube. I mean, there's people you can learn from, uh, you know, from a distance. I mean, you know, even though I've had this training and this kind of thing, I mean, I did an online preaching course, I don't know, two, three, four years ago uh, that I think has helped me a lot. I mean, listen. We don't lack for opportunities to be trained. <laughs> we lack for the desire uh, to grow. But again, who are you discipling? Who are you being discipled by? Who are you investing in? That's ultimately, at the end of the day, how we're going to build uh, the church, how we're going to make disciples, how we're going to make a difference in, in, in people's lives. And, you know, he's like, well, how do I get started with that? I just have your eyes open. I mean, there's people around you. If you'll pray, God will lead you to somebody. And remember, to disciple somebody, you just got to be one step farther along than them. And, you know, if there's somebody you think could help you, ask them. All they can do is say no. But some of it, I think, is being willing to 
you know, just receive from people. You know, sometimes, you know, so there, I think there's probably some tough love involved in all this. You know, I mean, you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, you know, like Paul's correcting Timothy from, you know, for uh, his fear and, 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 and some things like that. Um, you know, some of the, uh, I mean, one of my preaching professor in seminary, um, I mean, he was beloved, but I think part of the reason because he was beloved is because he was so tough on us. But that has paid such dividends in, in uh, you know, my life. And, you know, he taught us a, a, a way, you know, to, how to study the Bible, how to turn that into a message. We still use that or part of that in men's leadership training today. It was that practical and, and that hands-on. And, you know, we had to practice it. We had to preach sermons. I mean, poor Robin had to listen to me about 50 times, try to cut a message down to between 10 and 11 minutes that I had to preach in class. Can you all imagine me preaching in 10 minutes? Uh, I mean... Uh, that's like up there with the Red Sea on the, on the miracle scale. I'm just going to say it because some of you were thinking it. But, um, but at least I have pressing around to make me seem short-winded, right? Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, sometimes it's tough. I mean, I, I remember uh, Dr. McDill telling us a story one time. You know, he was trying to teach us how you respond when somebody give you a compliment. Really, I think what he was getting at is don't have false humility. But he talked about, you know, one of his former students going to hear him preach. And after the, the, the message, uh, he went up to him and said, that was a good message. And the guy, you know, got all spiritual on him and said, well, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. And Dr. M- uh, Dr. Uh, <laughs> McDill said, it wasn't that good. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we got to take some tough love. We got to take some correction and, and, and learn that way. But again, we need to be discipled. We need to disciple others. And as we're discipled, then we're prepared to minister to others. Number four, we'll just hit these last two quickly. The cost of caring for one another is sacrifice. There is a price to be paid. Now, Epaphroditus almost paid a really big price because in verse 30, it says, For the work of Christ, he came close to death. But he was surrendered enough to Christ and cared enough about them that he put their welfare ahead of his own. Don't just look out for your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. He's a case study in caring. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, we got to kill ourselves to serve other people. But there's re- no real service without some sacrifice. It may be some time. It may be some tears. It may be some inconvenience. It may be getting out of your comfort zone. It it may just be taking the time to prepare a meal for somebody. It could be listening to somebody, being there uh, for somebody who's going through a hard time, when in all honesty, you'd rather be doing uh, something else. There is some sacrifice. But the point of Philippians 2, 5 through 11 was Jesus made this great sacrifice for us, for the glory of God. And now he's exalted. And so the example is we humble ourselves, sacrifice for others, and at the end God will exalt us for the glory of his name. 
It's the exact opposite of what the world teaches. You know, it's not upward mobility. It's downward mobility. It's what the Bible teaches. We go down to go up. We humble ourselves uh, to, to be exalted. But, but the reality is there's also, you know, great joy and reward and blessing with this. I, I'm not going to get this quote exactly right, but there's, uh, a famous quote uh, from the Yale lectures on preaching, it's really old, where a guy named Phillips Brooks said something like, you know, the person who ministers to other people is, is never going to be completely happy again and is never going to be completely sad again uh, because you're all, if you're ministering to other people, you're always entering into both their happinesses and their sadnesses. But isn't that what Scripture tells us to do as brothers and sisters in Christ when it says to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? Isn't that part of what it means to be a Christian, to be in the body of Christ, to be brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, to walk with one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be there in the hard times, but then to also rejoice in, in, in the good times? And, you know, it's kind of like marriage, I think, when it's working right. Uh, you know, the burdens get lessened and the joys get multiplied, and that's really what the church is supposed to be. You know, an interesting experience I had in my life is, um, you know, when I've told you before, you know, I thought it was going to, to Virginia. When I graduated from seminary, that fell apart at the last minute. So we came back here for a few months before I moved to Maryland to pastor a church there. And I, I was the interim pastor for part of that time at my home church. But I, I worked with a temp agency. And part of the time, I worked on an assembly line at GE with a bunch of people who had been working together forever. And I don't know how old they were at the time. I thought they were ancient. But now that I'm in my 50s, I look back and when I, in my 20s, I don't think people were as old as I thought they were at, at that point in, in, in time. Uh, they were in their 50s probably, maybe their 60s. But, I, I mean, I, I call them one big happy dysfunctional family. And, uh, I mean, there was some weird stuff. I mean, my hair, as some of you have seen the old poofy pictures, my hair was really thick when I was there. Some of the little old ladies just walked by, sitting there working, just rubbed their hands through my hair. It was, <laughs> it, it was very strange. Uh, but, like, these people, you know, they, they'd get mad at each other. They'd talk about each other behind their backs. But, I mean, if somebody had a problem, they were there for each other. And, I mean, some of them were Christians. But, I mean, this is in a workplace. I mean, if it's that way there... How much more should it be that way in the body of Christ, in, in, in the church? And then, last thing I want to mention to you, number five in verse 29, the proper response to being cared for by another is honor. Look at what Paul told them to do, told the Philippian church to do. He says, receive him, receive Epaphroditus, therefore in the Lord, with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. You know, he said in Romans, give honor to whom honor is due. Esteem, this word speaks of value. Like acknowledging the, the, the worth of something. Like treasuring something like a, a, a precious jewel. To honor, to esteem. So, he, he's saying to us, you know, we've talked about, you know, this mutual care, concern for one another, and, and we're to be giving. But part of receiving in the right way is respect, honor, appreciation for those who serve and minister to us. 
So something I, I would encourage you to do as, as an application of this message, I mean, you know, we literally got on our cell phones one week earlier in, in, the, um, in the series, and we won't necessarily take the time to do that right now, but I'd encourage you to write some thank you notes or, or send some text or make some phone calls to people in your life over the years that have meant a lot to you, people who have ministered uh, to you, people who have uh, you know, served you, blessed you, taken care uh, of you. I mean, I don't care if you want to get on your phone and start texting somebody right now or write their name down or, 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 or something. Or you know, even in, in, in our church, you know, I, I would encourage you, like our other elders, Roger, Preston, Rusty, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, I get recognition or appreciation because I'm the face of things. So this is not some reverse psychology trying to get you to do something for me. It is the exact opposite of that. Don't do anything for me. A lot of you did that, you know, when we talked about this earlier in Philippians. But share your encouragement with them. They do a lot of the hard stuff uh, behind the scenes. And, you know, show them your appreciation, our staff, our, our youth leaders. you got kids in the youth ministry. How, how about our children's ministry? people. I mean, a lot of them have worked overtime as, you know, we've lost some people, some people at home during COVID and that kind of thing. And how about the band, the production team? How about your small group uh, leader? If you're in a small group, you know, what they invest in you. Let people know you appreciate them. Give honor to whom honor uh, is, is due. I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of like if we give our kids a bunch of stuff and they never bother to say thank you, that annoys us, right? Well, if people are investing their lives in us, shouldn't we let them know we appreciate them? Shouldn't we serve them in return? So the point of all of this is if you're a Christian, you're a part of the body of Christ, the church. But you're also supposed to be plugged into and I'm not saying just have your name on a roll. Be like a real active part of a local church. Are you? Maybe some of you, your next step would be to sign up for a Discovering True Life class in November and plug into that and get plugged in here. Some of you, uh, you're part of this church, but God wants you to use your gifts in, in, in serving. Uh, you know, for all of us, we can find somebody to love on, to care for, who has a need. You know, sometimes, again, finding God's will is just finding a need and meeting it. Just finding a need and, and, and meeting it. Uh, are you being discipled? Are you discipling someone? Are you plugged into a small group and, and growing in, in that way? You know, is there somebody, you know, with the greatest act of care and love and concern we could ever give to somebody is uh, someone that we know who's not a Christian is sharing the gospel uh, with them. Who is it that we know who, who needs to hear uh, about Jesus? And again, if you're not a Christian... You know, sometimes people push back against Jesus because of the church and things they've seen in the church. And I'm sorry if you've had bad experiences in this or any other church. But the reality is, is the church is still broken, sinful people. And not always going to get it right. I mean, that's not an excuse, that's just reality. But Christianity is about Jesus. And Jesus died to redeem us. He rose from the dead. He made us his his people. This is what the church is is supposed to be. But don't make your decision about Christ based on Christians. 
make your decision about Jesus, about is he really the son of God? Did he really die for our sins? Did he really rise from the dead? And if he did, respond to him in faith and surrender and, and, and give your life to him. And I encourage you, you know, if you're online, you have questions about receiving Christ, uh, you know, reach out to one of our hosts. If you're here, come talk to me or somebody you know when we're finished. But um, let's, uh, let's close in prayer.